This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, we bring back the guest from my very first episode, legendary glam guitarist Jay Pepper from Tiger Tales. In this two-year anniversary episode, we find out what's up with Tiger Tales for new music and their future. We also talk Jay's influences and the music industry in general. Make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube and consider being a paid subscriber through my podcast carrier, Anchor. Now here's Jay. Check it out. Jay, welcome back to the 80s Glam Model Cast. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Mike, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm doing okay, thanks. <laughs> it's cold here, but doing all right. Yeah, yeah, it's getting cold here in New York as well. Well, I got to ask you, man, I can't, I don't know about you, but I can't believe that it was two years ago when we first spoke. Uh, it's always going to be special to me because you were in the first episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, man. Has it time went by fast? Wow, that is unbelievable, isn't it? Two years. Goodness me, I, I can't believe it. Seems like six months, you know? <laughs> I know. And what the craziest thing is that COVID hadn't really happened yet. So it's like, wouldn't it be nice to go back to that world without COVID in it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But things have changed, yeah, considerably. Yeah. How's things going where you are with, uh, with COVID? Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I think everyone's getting used to living with it, and now we're kind of just getting on with it. Um, you know, it's, yeah, things are getting a bit more like normal, I guess. You know, we're able to do things that's probably much the same as you are, you know, going out and about. But there's certain constraints, you know, you still have to follow. So, but yeah, I guess the thing that's probably been affected the most is, is, is travel, you know, any international travel, even within Europe, is still a bit of a pain. So people aren't tending to do that. Um, but uh, my daughter's, funny enough, going to the US uh, in the next couple of weeks so um, for Christmas. So, yeah, things are getting there, you know. Yeah, you know, it's like I said, it, it's gotten better since when's a start when when it started, but it feels like we kind of go like these peaks and valleys. You know, it kind of it went down in the summertime, and then it comes kind of back up again around the winter time. So yeah, it's just probably something we're going to be dealing with for for quite a few years. Oh, for sure. I, I, I think it's yeah, it's just a case of living with it now and just getting used to this sort of thing. It's not going away. It's funny, you know, hopefully I, I've gotten a lot better at podcasting since when I first talked to you. Uh, w one notable thing that I want to say to the listeners is I really had no clue what I was doing the first time. I record this on a, a separate phone with, with microphones. So every time my screen went black, I thought maybe the recording would end, and I didn't want that to happen. So I would keep tapping on the screen. And in turn, what happened was that tapping made a sound that you could hear, hear during the interview. So yours is the only interview that I put a back backing music track uh throughout it so it kind of distracted you from these you know sound of sound sounds of me clicking on the phone but um so that, that that's what makes your interview a little bit different because you have like a backing music track and for anybody who listens to that one and i'll put a link into this uh this new episode yeah that's why i did it because like i said i was a little bit green i didn't know what i was doing ah it's okay not to <laughs> you all learn stuff as we go along <laughs> so when we last talked um you had talked about you had some things going on with your hearing. How is that situation right now? Oh, well, yeah, my hearing still, you know, degraded considerably over the last few years, the last three years, yeah, quite a lot. And, um, you know, the advice I had from the audiologist was you need to, you know, not be exposing yourself now to, you know, it's really going to make it worse. Because it, it's not like, I mean, with hearing, it's not like things like your eyesight that could be corrected, you know. They, they come on leaps and bounds and certain things, certainly with eye correction surgery and that. But hearing, once those tiny, you know, minuscule uh, sensors are gone years, they, they die off and they don't come back, you know, and there's not a great deal you can do about it. 
about it. So they said that, you know, it's just going to get worse. So uh, initially I backed off completely. I did nothing. Um, and then I thought, well, this is crazy. I can't, you know, just, just something is, is, you know, I like listening to music or, or anything. I've got to do something with it. So anyway, cut a long story short, I, I try and minimize the, you know, the volume I'm at. But, you know, the music we like, uh, it doesn't sound so good when it's quiet. Right. But um, what, I, what I did from a, a playing point of view was just basically get in-ear monitors like you probably see a lot of musicians using anyway. Yep. I've never been a fan because it, because it kind of takes away the gig for me, you know. You're in, like, your own isolation booth, if you know what I mean. You know, there's, there's a lot of negatives if, you, if you're into rock music, particularly if you want to feel the gig. And I'm old school, I like that big, you know, backline amps and cabs and, you know, that's the kind of gear I've used, always used, and I like that power sound on stage, so to, to lose that was, it has been a, a bit of a challenge, but I, I, I'm getting used to it, and, and I've got to say, you know, it does have a lot of benefits, so you can hear everything, you know, any mix you want, and also your own voice and things, so it, it, it yeah, it's pros and cons, and I've, I've just got used to living it, so it enables we need to be able to go out and play and not do too much damage to my ears, so any more damage, I guess. But, yeah, I'm, I, you know, suffering from really bad tinnitus as well, which doesn't really go away at all. It's not, like, intermittent. So it's a huge problem. I mean, musicians, we're a company, but so, so naive and blase about it. We should have been taking care of our ears from the, the word go, but um, most people never do. And, you know, the older you get, and I'm pushing 60 now, it takes its toll, you know, mm -hmm. but... Um, yeah, I'm trying to work around it in the best way I can. And that, that those in ears are kind of doing it for me at the moment. That doesn't enable me to you know carry on if you like. And you guys did a show, like a festival show, a couple months back, right? We've done two. Yeah, I mean, we did the first one. We opened up the co with the Hard Rock. Two, 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 basically, like Hard Rock Hell is like a franchise over here in mm -hmm. Europe. They run festivals kind of all over the place, um, different theme things. But we've, we've done two of those in the last three months. The first one was uh, in Sheffield in the north of the UK. That was, well, both were really great. Um, that was in August, I think. The first time that venue had opened up the O2 in, like, I don't know, two years. So that, you know, we were the first gig there, or that festival was. And it was a really tough day, you know, really tough. It was very fractious. And I honestly thought the gig was going to, you know, be the worst gig ever. But as it turned out, it, it, the exact opposite of that. <laughs> it was... The, the, the literally the roof came off you know it was, it was quite amazing how, how that all turned around people were just like, so desperate to be in that environment again it was it was one of those great you know fantastic gigs we've done in a very long time and then a few weeks ago we did uh, the same kind of thing but over in a different part of the UK uh, over on the east coast um, uh, yeah again Hard Rockell that was the, the one thing on all this morning I guess they've got Hard Rockell sleeves that was more of a you know the, those sort of genre bands the main hard rock out festival is just more you know, generally middle of the road sort of rock bands, but that was great as well. So we've we've had two you know banging banging gigs over the last few months. Yeah, really really good. How's Rob doing? Are you keeping him in line? Because uh, him and I have become buddies. So if you need me to talk to him, I can I can say something to him. Is he, is he being good? Rob, oh, oh yeah, Rob, yeah, oh, he's great. Yeah, I mean you know that 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 the band just kind of works as it is. You know, um, we've been around a long time. We've got various members in and. Yeah, everybody's great. They turn up and, and, you know, the band functions because people, you know, know what they need to do. They turn up where they need to be and everybody knows how to do their job. You know, you're not, you're not worrying where people are or people being a pain. So, yeah, Rob's great. You know, he's got his own thing going on with, with Midnight City. But, yeah, you know, with the tail stuff, when we get together and play on stage, you know, we do create some sort of magic sometimes. So, uh, 
it, it just all works at the moment, yeah. Yeah, him and I, he, I think I'm exactly about a year older than him. So him and I have a lot in common. So we, we talk quite a bit online, and, and he, we've done a couple podcasts, and I think we're going to do another one. We like to do compare you know, lists of, of hair metal albums and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he's super cool. Oh, he's right into all that hair metal stuff, yeah. He, he, you know, it's too lame for me and all that stuff. He, uh, yeah, we do have a bit of a chuckle about that because he, he's into some, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's you know I like a lot of that music, but it's it's <laughs> he's on another level of uh, of cheesiness, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all good. What's uh, how's uh, what's been going on with new music? Have you any you kicking around any ideas? Well, I, it, it's yeah, it's it's a kind of topical question at the moment. I for as great as this, we have the band is tales when we when we play and it's just, you know it is great. It, it it takes a lot to get us motivated. You know, mobile I guess and, and we all live in different parts of the country you know like a lot of bands do you know even people living in different parts of the world and we, we still manage to make it function but I think I, I've started writing I'm, I'm actually in the studio at the moment I'm writing and recording new stuff but I've kind of I, 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 I don't know I, I, I don't know where to go with the, the Tiger Tail stuff you know it, it kind of constrains you into like a you know a footprint where you, you can't go off the rail track you know you've got to stay in a you know, it's got to sound a certain way. People expect certain things, and and I also think that as soon as we put something out, you know, people are just like, oh, well, it's like another album off them, you know. And, and so I'm at the moment kind of toying with the idea of doing it like a solo project. I'm, I'm writing stuff in the moment. I've been in the studio this last week, and it's you know, everything's sounding great. And but using you know very much more like kind of classic rock. I, I've kind of whereas most people are looking for new music, I've gone in reverse, and I'm you know, listen to older stuff. Um, and, and I'm just enjoying using uh, new instruments, stuff I haven't done before, and sounds. And and I'm kind of digging that, you know. And, and I did something outside of Target, so I'm kind of quite enjoying the, yeah, the, the freedom of it all, I guess. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm writing, I'm recording, where that ends up and how it gets released, you know, if it gets released and how, it, how it's released. I don't know yet. I, I've not made any hard, hard decisions, but... My general feeling is at the moment, I doing another Tiger Tales album, uh, you know, doesn't excite me, if you know what I mean. So, I don't know. I, I, I Basically, I get a collection of work together and decide what to do with it. Right now, I'm just enjoying doing that. So, I'll see where it takes me. And I, 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 I just don't need more of that at, at the moment. When you talk about going back and you're listening to old stuff, how, ba- how far back are you going? What kind of era of classic rock are you talking well, I, I don't know if we hit on this before. I mean, Tiger Tales got defined by me. We were like one of those bands that people shouldn't be together. Me and Pepsi and, you know, at the time, whether it was Stevie or, or Ace or, you know, King, that where we were the kind of, you know, the main kind of successful period, I suppose you could say, of the, of the band. I, you know, I, we were all into different things. And, and I, my personal history was like, Real like classic rock stuff, you know. I was into. I was never really into the the, the hair metal stuff. I, I did like the British glam scene back in the day, you know. I, I, that's where I started. Was like Slade and Sweet and mm-hmm. Status Quo has always been my band. But I'm, I'm really into like the Faces, and I've been listening to more like more recent bands. That I kind of when we got around when we were, were, were doing stuff, you know, growing up and writing songs and doing our own band, we, we thought the Dinosaurs band was like. You know, the faces, bad company, not the Hooper, and I've been listening a lot more to that kind of stuff. And I've been listening to how great those those bands were, just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the faces, just probably one of the greatest bands that ever existed in my, in my view. Um, but also bad company and stuff like that. And I'm just really digging that kind of 
classic sort of Paul Rogers sound and, and people like Steve Marriott and, and all those guys, you know, and I just think they're so awesome. Um, and I'm really digging that. And not, I don't like other stuff, you know, it's the, the rat and, you know, these sorts of things, but I I just really, really, really dig that kind of classic rock era. And I, and I missed a lot of it by being into, you know, what the, the, the tide of turn, they were seen as the, the, the dinosaurs then, you know, and it, it frowned upon bands like Free and, and that sort of thing. And, but you listen to them now, and I think they're just awesome, you know, those guitar sounds, the, the way they, most of the vocalists, like Paul Rogers, incredible, Steve Marriott, incredible. Um, and I'm just digging all that, and, and Rod Stewart in the faces, I mean, just it's just as, as good as it gets for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying that stuff, really. I don't really listen to any music at all, if something occasionally catches me, but, yeah, I, I'm just reliving the past, I suppose, and I think if something's great, it's great forever, and that music is just legendary, and... and there's no reason why people can't create music like that now, I think. You know, that, that's kind of where I'm at the moment. Yeah, and, and I totally know what you're saying because it sounds like that's the music that you grew up on. And that's kind of the same thing with me. That's why I gravitate to, you know, Tiger Tales and all the glam bands because that was like the first music I really got into. And same thing with me. I listen to it today. It still sounds good. It still sounds fresh. It really doesn't sound dated. So, um, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from. Oh, man, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing, you know, it doesn't matter, when music touches you, or the band touches you at a certain time in your life, I mean, this is a great thing about music, isn't it? It, it, it kind of, uh, it, it, it leaves like an embellished footprint on that part of your life, you know, and, and like regardless of however big bands are or become, you know, commercial success has never had anything to do with it for me. I'm up here with the bands that people wouldn't even, most have never heard of, you know. Um, I was into Y&T before anybody ever heard of them over here, you know, and, um, and I still am, and then they, they never have a classic rock band, I think, you know, that just, it's just awesome, but I just feel that um, for me, and I'm, yeah, probably, as you say, your Rob says I'm probably a bit older than that, and I, you know, what touched me was, like I say, you know, Slade, Free, um, just all those kind of classic rock bands, I mean, ACDC, one of my bands, but I'm talking, you know, people who nearly jump like down to Back in Back, not for me, I mean, not that you can't take any Back in Black, it's just an absolutely phenomenal album, no doubt about it. But nope, not for me. Everything before that is ACDC as far as I'm concerned. You know, Power Age is probably the greatest album ever recorded. Still put it on today. Listen to, you know, Sin City and, and, and those tracks and uh, Down Payment Blues and, and Kicked in the Teeth. I mean, Let There Be Rock as an album, just monstrous, you know. Right everything up to back in back. And in terms of you want to pick the, a band right at their peak, Listen to If You Want Blood, you got it, the live album before, you know, and it was the last thing Bon Scott thing I did after, uh, and I was high with it, how it early did, wasn't it? But If You Want Blood, that live album is as good as it gets with that band. That's a band right at their peak. You know, it's everything before Back in Black for me. They they were uh, like a blues band and just, just, just awesome when they kicked in and incredible. And I just, yeah, that's what I, that's what touched me at the time. And I said, I'm status quo, they're another band, you know, you listen to Call Lives. I mean, it's, recorded in 1977 the Glasgow Apollo monstrous album again a band at their peak those those albums and those live albums just at the time where I think the bands had, 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 you know, they honed their craft and, and just it's just so so good even now put them on and it's just like you're, you're there you're in it you know it's uh, so it's whatever touched you at the time and, and that's where I came from and I, I, I just dig in listening to that stuff and playing it at the moment so that's the sort of stuff I'm kind of writing you know what I mean so, 
it doesn't fit as a tiger tail as some of the tracks I'm doing. So whether they'll end up being that, I don't know. But at the moment, I'm just digging that. Awesome. So you kind of talked about the idea that maybe like a new album doesn't excite you. Where do you see Tiger Tales going as a band in the future? Are, do you just want to go for the next couple of years and just do some spotty gigs? Or is there like an end in sight where you'd say, hey, maybe we'll do like a big farewell and it's over? What, what do you see as the future? Well, I, I just don't know. I mean, the thing is when you've been around as long as this, you know, and the, the, the difference is for us, and, and this is probably a big difference, I think, to a lot of the bands in that genre are still going around, you know. The difference is for us is that it's 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 not our living. I don't need to do Tiger Tales to, to earn a living, you know, and I haven't done it in, you know, 20 odd years. We do it for the right reasons because we want to do it and go out there and enjoy it, you know. And, and, and another plus factor to that is that for me, every time you go on stage, you've got to mean it. You know, you've got to want to be there and mean it. And when something becomes a job, like, like it does for most of those bands in that genre, we get on over here all the time. And I'm sure you, you've seen them, you know, the, particularly the hair and our bands from the day, the Sunset Strip bands. They, they come over and they all maybe flip the singers. You know, they're talking different bands, you know, but they'll flip the singers. It's almost like a job. And then once things that turns into it, it, it just the fun's sucked out of it, you know. It, it's yeah. just like they don't want to be there, you know. And, and you could just tell. And I, I never wanted to end up like that. So I don't know where we go with it. I don't. I don't need to do it from a, a living point of view. Somebody give me a reason to do it. And and for me, the reason to do it is playing the right kind of gigs with the right kind of peers. And the first thing question I always ask with festivals: Who's on it? You know, who are we playing with? Because if there's somebody on that festival I dig, that's what I want to be. You know, I want to chat to those guys. And just have a beer with them and just be associated with the right kind of bands and I, I, so it's just got to float me and, and nothing at the moment particularly is floating me in, in, in doing anything and as far as like a farewell thing I mean, to be honest does anyone give a shit you know what I mean um, it's not like some sudden you know Harry Goldsmith is going to take over to use a world tour you know and, and tour with, with Bon Jovi or something it's, it'll be going around you know, slugging your guts out playing clubs. And I, it, the band doesn't work in that environment. You know, the band works in front of thousands of people on big stages. That's where it works. The magic is really created then when there's thousands of people in front of it singing the songs. It's not, it's never been one for like a club type band. It isn't that. It's a big sound and it's, 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 it works on big stages. So if somebody offers us the right gig, I'll do it. But if they don't, they don't. And, and the same with music. If somebody wants to show me a reason to, you know, a record company someone's going to promote something because that's the other thing with this stuff you know we go on about recording and all that stuff the internet about things being easier yeah you can record fairly cheaply and you can put your music out fairly easily and release it but it disappears without a trace and the reason is for that is because there's no promotion around it what the record companies was they all were a bunch of sharks for the most part is they had the backbone and the, the backup resources to promote it you know and you don't get that anymore so like you say, a new album, well, who's going to promote it? Who's going to spend tens of thousands on, on promoting it? And it's not there. So if somebody wants to do that, then give me a reason to do it, I'll do it. But if they're not going to do it, I, I can't see the reason to do it. The same like a farewell tour, like, give me a reason to do something. And I'm nobody, you know, unless something comes up, then I, I, I don't see anything happening. It'll just, just be what usually happens is every now and again somebody comes to us and would you do this you know and I think yeah that's okay you know like the bands are on that bill I want to do that but it's few and far between I have to say right now um, 
when we talked before, we we you know we talked about some of the classic albums in depth, and like I said, people can can go back to that interview. But let's talk about the songwriting on some of those classic albums. Um, how did all the songwriting shake out, and is a lot of that accurate? What's not what's listed on those albums? Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Well, the you know the, the thing that you did mine too, you did one with Stevie, I think, and he, you know there's always a bit of you know, a bit of uh, beef about who wrote this, who wrote that on the young and crazy stuff. I mean, the, the simple fact is on that young crazy album. If you take the if you take it as a hundred percent, the the one song that was written hundred percent by Pepsi was she's to art. Take that song out of it. Every other song on that record was written by me and Stevie. It's been published forever with the various publishing companies, and we get you know the, the royalty split is fifty fifty. It has been since nineteen eighty seven since that album was released. No one's ever contested that, and the reason is is because that's the truth. I wrote like all the music on there, every single guitarist and every riff that's on there I wrote, apart from She's Twat, which is Pepsi, like I said, everything else I wrote. I'll tell you where I got most of those riffs from. You know, Living Without You and Fallen of Again. Uh, okay, like I said, I was into Y&T and stuff, and it's, um, those chord progressions are kind of off ways to change, you know, in different ways, backwards and slightly played differently. I was into kind of a lot of like Cat Stevens, and some of those riffs, just a little twiddles here and there off Matthew and so I know where all they all came from. And Steve didn't write any of the music on it. I wrote all of that. What he did write was pretty much all the lyrics. I think most of the melodies on mm-hmm. it. So from the writing credit it's it's fifty fifty which it's always been. But you know, you get this C comes out said I wrote everything. Well no it didn't actually you know it was an equal partnership. That's how those songs are written. So that that's what that's a fact of all that. And people they get, you know, they jump on words and they choose that people have said this, said that. They don't know the situation. They don't know these people but those are the facts, you know. He and I wrote that album, apart from She's Too Up, 50-50 split. I wrote all the music, he produced all the melodies and lyrics, as far as I can remember. So that, that's that. And Berserk, um, pretty much mostly in Pepsi. I think Kim wrote uh, bits here and there on, I think it was Tristan Shake was his song originally. Um, I think for the most part, of, yeah, that was mostly me and Pepsi. But we split the writing credits across the four of us, which was a huge mistake, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, just to save grief on, on people getting royalties. But what that means is that I mean, people get you know royalties for stuff they've never written anything on, uh, you know, not any contribution whatsoever. And my experience of being in this band is the people who generally contribute the least are the biggest problem in the band. You know, that, that, that's, that's the frustration. So... Uh, yeah, it really gets my back up when, you know, people are banging on about this and banging on about their ex-members when they actually contributed, you know, next to nothing. So, uh, you know, those are the facts, really. I mean, now these days, I mean, whoever writes the song gets credited on it. So, uh, you know, it's just a fair way of doing it. But it, it does really get my back up when, you know, people are kicking around all this nonsense about they wrote this, wrote that. But, yeah, those are the facts of it. Just so, um, yeah, people can take out what they want, really. Have you have you been watching any of that Beatles Get Back? Oh, Beatles! No, I haven't seen that yet. No, I, I, I will watch it, but I haven't seen it yet. Well, what's funny because you're, you're bringing up, yeah, it's you got to watch it. It just shows them creating the the Let It Be songs and everything. But but the thing that stands out to me is what from what you were just saying is that okay, so all the songs that John Lennon and McCartney write individually or together or whatever always says you know Lennon and McCartney. But as you're watching that. Um, documentary it's pretty interesting because like Paul creates Get Back right in the studio all by himself and all of a sudden it's you know Lennon and McCartney and then McCart- or Lennon comes in with Across the Universe is completely finished I mean they always put everything you know Lennon and McCartney but 
it makes an interesting point. Like you said, you put all four guys on it, but not everybody did anything. And even with them, I don't know why at a certain point they didn't change it and just say, this song is Lennon, this song is McCartney. Because you can tell, at least toward the end, neither guy had anything to do with each other's songs. It's pretty crazy. Oh, man, I, you know, this, is, this goes on all the time. It'll be down to how, you know, if they got individual managers and what's been agreed, you know, legally. I mean, it, it, it can get very messy. And I mean, you're talking, if you want to get into that stuff, I mean, you look around some of the biggest stars when they do other solo projects, you know, and I won't mention any names, but um, they can start up another band or do the project, and basically another band's written all those songs, but no, no, when it goes in, so-and-so wrote this, you know, yeah, right. he wrote and recorded all this. Well, no, no, he didn't actually. It's this band who written all those songs, but they're not credited on it because they're in big enough news, you know? Yeah. I always wonder that. I mean, once again, yeah, this, is, this is completely off the cuff, but um, like Vince Neil, he never wrote a lick really in, in Motley Crue. I don't think he wrote anything. And then when, as soon as he did his solo album, he always had a credit, but there was a bunch of other writers. I always wondered, did he ever really write anything or was his name just thrown on there? So it's kind of like what you just said. So I wonder. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, basically, if, if they, you know, people want to use your songs, uh, if some you know, big artist, their management company comes in and says they want to use those songs for you know, this project, and, yeah, the, the deal is is that, you know, they at least get a credit on it, and sometimes they get a credit with 100%, 100% of it, otherwise they don't do it, you know. Of course, the band who are pretty much probably unknown think, well, yeah, it's better to have that than, you know, nothing. So um, they suck it up, yeah. It's it's, uh, it's a shit industry, Mike, I tell you. And, then, you know, for the benefits of change and, and the digital age and all that internet, it hasn't changed with all the behind the scenes. It's still the shittest industry. It's, it's so much is unregulated. You don't get paid on time. These these associations, these bodies, PPL, PRS, MCPS, the bloody sound issues, all these things, they're all just like, it's shoddy. It wouldn't exist in any other world. You, you can't rely on getting money from these organizations in a timely manner. You've got no way of, of checking the reporting, you know. Whereas if you, and also somebody can put out your work and they do all the time, you know, you look at the internet and there's your songs are all over the place, yeah. you never see any royalties from it, people can release your albums, they do it, and you have no call back on it, you know, to try and, you can't even find who these people are, they, you know, they've released stuff, they did it with us, like, I mean, crazy on some, some label I never even heard of, released some deluxe package, you know, <laughs> didn't even know they are. Crescendo <laughs> Records or something. Never, never knew them. Never signed anything. Never seen a penny from it. No royalties. They do it. Get away with it. You know. But if you were making, I don't know, an inventor of a car, you created something and built it and sold it. There's all sorts of you know protections around that from a you know patent point of view or patent and but just the way it's sold and how it's you know regulated and all that. But not this industry, you know, and if something nicks your idea, you can sue them. You, you try and do that here, it's, it's as bad as it ever was. And I kind of feel for the, the younger artists coming up, you know, trying to make a living out of it because they've lost all that, you know. What we had, at least back then, was we had the physical product that sold, you know. Um, they don't even have that now. It, it's basically a non-business, you know. When you look at every kind of streaming, the only way they've got really of making anyone is playing live shows and selling merch, uh, and I say this to people all the time. I, I genuinely think the music industry really is a non-business. If you feel like what businesses are, you know, you make something, you create something, you, you, you make it, you manufacture it, and then you sell it for more money than it costs you to make it. You know, that's what, that's what you do. That's what business is. You can't do that in the music industry. Mm-hmm. You make something, it, you cost you a lot of money to put it, you know, you stick it out there, and people have it for free. 
that's what happens. That's in the business, you know. And the royalties you get from these streaming agencies are like more, 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 more one, you know. Like we all get them. We get you know fifty pages of you know these streams of tens of thousands of downloads of streams and. You know, the check at the end is like thirty pounds or like fifty dollars or something. You know, it's just, it's just bullshit. Um, yeah, and whereas if you were selling those physical units, such as CDs or vinyls, you know, that would be worth hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars. But it isn't anymore. The only way you make money is going out playing live and selling merch to the people there and, and online and stuff. But it's yeah. So how bands make a living out of it? It's really really tough now. It was never easy, but it's it's like super tough now. It's funny because recently, like, if you subscribe to uh, Spotify, right? Let's say you, you're part of Spotify. They just sent everybody an email that told them what they listened to the most for the year, you know? So a lot of people, I did it myself, were posting online. They were showing the list to the different bands. Oh, hey, I listen to this band the most, this song the most. And uh, I think it was Mike Portnoy from, um, who was it once in Dream Theater. Uh, he came out there and he said, you know, oh, it's nice to see that we're on these lists, but screw Spotify, you know, because they're getting all the money. I think that guy made like 3.8 billion or something like that. And then like you said, the artists get nothing. So it's like, it's fun, you know, for us as listeners. Yeah, it's easy. I'm sitting on my couch. I can listen to any album and any song anytime I want on Spotify. But that guy that runs it, that owns it, he's getting rich. But like I said, you guys are getting nothing. And I guess when he put, when he sent out that tweet out there, it really was an eye opener because it reminded me, I was like, wow, this is really screwed up. Yeah, and uh, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I and mean, it's Spotify is probably yeah, the most prominent one, but it's all those the, those platforms. You know, YouTube being another one. You know, your your music thrown out there. You could you know have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of hits and plays, and and you get zero from it. I mean, it's it's just change. You know, it's just nothing. Um, and and yeah, all those streaming platforms, whatever people are using, Apple Pay, all of them. It, it's it's like no point, no no one percent is it's nothing and and like i said you get the stream you get the, the the statements through and publishing and stuff and it's just bonkers because if those were physical units you were shipping every six months you know it would be worth a significant amount of money and, and that would make you the business but as it stands like i keep saying it isn't business if you've got four or five guys in the band i don't know what the minimum wage is out there in the states but over here something like i don't know 25 30,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. You've got four or five guys in the band. That's 100, 150,000 a year just, just to pay people the minimum wage, right? Right. You add on top of that all the expenses of the band to go out, you know, whether you're making product or staying in hotels, playing shows. You know, that is serious, serious money. To, to, to even pay people the minimum wage in a band these days is, is uh, you know, I, I don't know how people do it. I mean, I, well, they ain't doing it. You know, they aren't, they aren't doing it and therefore... Like most bands don't survive, they put in a few years, and and you know the other thing is, and we all kind of do it and did it is people have a, may have a big profile on social media, and they can have these sixty billion thousand friends or listeners and subscribers, but those people aren't buying their music, and even if they are subscribing on Spotify, the band isn't getting it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's disgraceful. And this is where I come back to the same point: nothing's changed. The media and the way you listen to music has changed from a fan's point of view. But from an artist's point of view, you're still 100% utterly shafted. Right. You know? Like right. I say, you go back to the fundamentals of what business is. You, you, you create something, you make something, it costs you an amount of money, you sell it, and you sell it for a profit. It doesn't exist in the music business. You know, yeah, you've got your A-listers, your, your Green Days and your Lady Gaga's and Mewtwo's at the top of the tree, but the rest of it, 
forget it. You know, you, you basically people take your music, they play it for nothing, they, they do whatever they like with it, they can release it for nothing, they can use it on any platform. Yes, they're supposed to be, they give a lip service with all these laws and rules in place to stop it happening, but no one gives a shit. It, it's out there, it's all over the place, and it's, it's just like almost like deemed as worthless. And, and that wouldn't be the same if it was in any other walk of life. You know, if you were making any other product, it would be protected. But music is not seen to be like that. It, it seems almost like, you know, you, you can do it and just get away with it. And people do every single day. And, and the internet is filled with it. You never see a penny of it. And I, like I said, I come back to the same thing. It makes it for me a non-business. That isn't what business is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that so you, you, you have to do it now for the love of it. You know, that's where I have to do it because you want to do it because you enjoy it, and I come back to what I said earlier about playing tours, I do stuff because I want to do it. If I like the bands on the bill, I like the gig, I do the gig, you know. If I don't, I won't be doing it. It's about enjoying it and doing it for, for your own reasons. You, What do you do for a living outside of music? Do you have a business that you're involved with? Um... Uh, yeah, I, I do um, technology consultancy, so uh, that, that, that's kind of my, my day job, if you like. That, that sort of you know, pays the bills, if you like, you know, there's this... The, the music side of it is not uh, is not not is it, is not anything. And then, like I said, go back to me. I would do it anyway. I, I don't. I want to you know believe in what I'm doing, and then you've got to mean it. So playing music, going out every day, gigging, that sort of thing. I, I it's not for me. I I I I think that, that once it becomes a job like that, like we did it before, it kind of it, it it sucks the fun out of it. It doesn't become. Well, it becomes a job, and by definition, something you have to go to work to do. You tend to not enjoy doing, and I, I never wanted to be in that position. And when we came back around, was one of the first things we and Pepsi said to each other. I, you know, we both completely agreed. I'm not doing that again. You know, mm-hmm. this doesn't become the center of our universe again. It becomes something we want to do, and when you know we do it when we want to do it, and we're not dictated to by other people telling us to do things. And for, for the last 12 or 15 years, it's been cool. You know, we've done some amazing things and and it's worked really well. We generally fly into festivals, you know, on a Friday we do the gig, play with some great bands and fly back out and get on with our own thing and, and you know, just take move away from it again. But when we do it, we, we do it for all the right reasons and believe in what we're doing. Jay, so glad I got to talk with you again, man. Like I said, you're always going to be number one. First episode of the 80s Glam Metalcast. Here we are, two years later, still going strong. Anything you want to say to your fans out there? Oh, it's great, man. I really appreciate you for uh, having me on again and, uh, yeah, <laughs> for being the first one. But uh, to all the fans out there, I'm watching this. Every time we play, uh, it's, it's the same thing. I, um, and people are still into our music all these years. Like, I can't thank them enough. Really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, and we, we, we get new fans on all the time, you know, every time I, we play festivals and things now, you always get people who, you know, say, I, I, I've never liked your band, but I've I, I got to say, you're amazing, you know, so everybody who's with us and all the new people who've come on board since, yeah, thank you so much, I, I, it's great, it's making, it keeps me doing it, it makes me want to do it, and they're the reason I do it, if, if they ain't there, they, they, there's no band as far as I'm concerned, so, yeah, really, thank you to everyone. Really appreciate your time. Great stuff, Mike. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Jay. Take care. All the best. Cheers, mate. Bye, bye. Well, that was a pleasure chatting with Jay again. I'm two years in, and there's tons more episodes to come. Rock on!